Well, uh, I confess to you today that I have bit off more than I can chew in the book of Philippians. Uh, <laughs> when God was like, just do, teach out of a book. I'm like, cool. And uh, in our, our preaching schedule, uh, we usually, uh, you know, I was like, I think I can do it in three weeks. And here we are in chapter two, at the beginning of chapter two. So uh, graciously, I am afforded a couple more weeks to be able to continue in this book. And uh, Lord willing, we will finish it. Uh, hopefully, you have been getting something out of it. Um, and so, let's, with all that being said, let's go right into Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Um, and I'm going to grab my phone real quick because I want to read from another translation. Philippians chapter 2, once again, this was a cohesive letter. It was not divided into chapters at the time that Paul wrote it. And so it is a flow of thought. And um, so Paul starts out Philippians chapter 2 with this. He says, therefore, this is from the New American Standard Translation, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, let's stop right there. Uh, anytime, I know this is a cheesy phrase or cheesy thing to say, but anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, a great question to ask is, what is the therefore, therefore? And so, <laughs> and so uh, we will find out as we continue to go on that uh, that, is that is calling you back to a previous thought. And so we will we'll see that. But this gets into what Omo opened up with and what Jill closed with. If you have had any experience, if you have benefited from having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then, then you're going to be able to identify with what Paul is urging because what Paul is doing here in this, these first two verses is he's saying, listen, if, if, if following Jesus and believing in Jesus has benefited you at all, then I'm urging you to do the following. How many of you have ever done that with your kids? Maybe you're going into a store and they've had a bad behavior day and before you enter into the store, you sit down and you're almost urging slash pleading, but they don't know it. And you're like, listen to me. If I have done anything for you, please control yourself in this. This is what Paul's doing with his church that he planted. And that's what we'll, we'll see that in the beginning of Philippians 2. He says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, one of the things that you need to see right here is that if is not if you've personally experienced that. It's not an if like maybe it applies to some of you, but it doesn't apply to the others. That same word if in the Greek is also since or because of. So Paul's not saying, hey, maybe, maybe this applies to you. He's saying, no, 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 no. We all have experienced the same thing. And since we've experienced that, let's, 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 let's go, let's make the goal of our lives the things that come after this. 
So he said, you can, you can reread that. Since there is encouragement in Christ, since you've experienced love, since you have fellowship of the Spirit, since you have affection and compassion, the message translation says it this, this way. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, has it made any difference in your life? If being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. That's what Paul, that's kind of the, the, what Paul's getting at here. And he goes on to say, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others. The, the longer we go into the last days, the harder that, that will become because Timothy says that in the last days, people will become lovers of themselves. And so we have to, we, we are, there's a tide pulling us more and more into selfishness that we will have to resist as the days go by. But here's the solution. If you want to resist Selfishness, if you want, want to resist vain conceit, which is pride, be mindful of Jesus. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I love that scripture or that phrase in reckless love. There's no mountain you won't climb up because he's already climbed down from the highest mountain. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> he, he is the only one to come down from heaven. So climbing back up a mountain is no feat for him. For this reason, I love Reinhard Bunke. He said this, he said, in every other religion on the planet, Man has to climb a mountain to God. But in Christianity, God comes down from the mountain to you. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. How many of you know that when your kids are with you, their behavior is different than when they're not with you? <laughs> this is what he's saying. He's talking to, to his, his church that he planted, his essentially spiritual children, and he's saying, not only in my presence, but in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Listen, all of the prodding of the Holy Spirit is, is God saying, I'm at work in you. And I'm doing this because it's my pleasure to see you in this way, to become transformed in this way. And he goes on to say, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if, 
I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. It's so interesting because uh, Paul is in prison and he's more concerned about them in Philippi than he is himself in prison. That I may be encouraged of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, this is Timothy, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to me in my need. Because remember, Epaphroditus was the one that sent the offering from Philippi to Paul in prison. And so now Paul is saying, I'm sending him back to you. Um, Because he was longing for you all, verse 26, for you all and was distressed because of you. Because he had heard that, or because you had heard that he was sick. Once again, selflessness. Epaphroditus, Paul goes on to say that Epaphroditus was literally on his deathbed, and Epaphroditus' focus is I've got to get back to Philippi because I'm more concerned about them worrying for me than I am on my deathbed sick. So I need to get better to assure them that I'm okay. That's crazy. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again and may rejoice, or you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. This is Philippians chapter 2. Um, one of my favorite time, summertime experience is, experiences is fireworks. How many of you have just love fireworks, love going to firework shows? Oh, just a handful of you. So, <laughs> you non-patriots. Um, but I had the privilege of experiencing a new fireworks show this year. And it is something that I like to call the Matt McKean Fireworks extravaganza. Yeah, Matt McKean, my brother-in-law, um, uh, him and his, his brother uh, get together, and they literally set off their own fireworks show. And what I came to find out really quickly is that it literally puts local fireworks shows to shame. It is incredible. It, is, uh, it was more than at least a half hour long. And I'm telling you, it, there, there's no, it's not lesser quality than anything else that you will ever see. It was amazing. And it was just the whole, the whole vibe, the whole mood, the whole experience. He got bounce houses. He's got ribs. I mean, he's got, he's got what 4th of July should be. He's got it cornered. But aside from the fireworks, probably one of the more enjoyable experiences was amidst the glow that shines upon the ground when the fireworks are going up in the air, one of my favorite things was seeing Matt uh, run from firework to firework to light them off to make sure that the show continued. My guy can run when he needs to. <laughs> it was just, you just see this, <laughs> this, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. 
I mean, he was all over the place. I was like, go ahead, Matt. My guy can sprint. If you want to know how fast he can run, I clocked it because of an experience we had mutually together in a golf court at a golf course, and a golf cart at a golf course, but that's another story. Um, but he can run. But how many of you know that the 4th of July isn't just about fireworks as much as Christmas isn't just about gifts, right? The 4th of July has a deeper meaning. And let me ch- tell you about the deeper meaning. Beyond the fireworks, the cooking out, and the parades, it all, if I can, if I can kind of culminate the, well, what it's all about, it hinges on this phrase, this statement. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. That phrase is the last line that was written by Thomas Jefferson in our Declaration of Independence. These 56 men who had gathered together to begin to be independent from Britain, they concluded with that language. It's amazing. Uh, These were not poor men. These were men that in many ways were living comfortable. They in many ways were of the elite of the elite. They were representatives in the British government within the different districts that they represented. And I had the privilege of going to Williamsburg, uh, Virginia in May with my wife, and it, which used to be the capital of the Virginia colony and the 13 colonies. And I got to sat, sit in the room, the lower house of Burgesses, where many of our founding fathers were arguing over this. The House of Burgesses, the upper house was the elite house. These were friends of the governor of of Virginia. And the lower houses were Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and James Madison. And so many of these guys, our founding fathers, were having these conversations about, you know what, Uh, we are getting mistreated. This is not working fairly. And they knew that if they were sent, try try to argue on their behalf for better treatment in the House of Burgesses, it wasn't going to pass through because the upper house were friends of the governor. And they were in this game, in this war, but I got to sit in this room, and these are young men. These are not old men. These are guys in their 20s. Thomas Jefferson, when he was serving in Williamsburg, was like 18, 19, 20. And these guys are young, but they have all of these things, but I love that they are willing to lay it all on the line, to lay it all down, They said our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And what that means is they knew that if this doesn't work, our lives are over. What What a risk to undergo. You know, and 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 this is from the Declaration of Independence. And it is because of these men and their willingness to sacrifice everything that they had gained for the sake of future generations to come so that they would, so that these future generations, their whole effort was so that we would all, if we are American citizens, have the privilege of citizenship, being a part of a new nation. But it all started with this. Now, does that mean that America is perfect? No, it's not. However, there's something that we need to understand when we celebrate something like the 4th of July and we don't consider the sacrifices and the, we're not mindful of those things that, that led to the culmination of this nation. By the way, I was just listening to a podcast of a uh, North, Car- North Korean 
uh, uh, woman that escaped. And if you think that there are things to complain about in America, please come and see me afterwards and I will tell you what to download. It's a three-hour conversation. You will find out very quickly that if you think America is hell on earth, North Korea is the closest thing to hell on earth. It really is. But we go on, and I'm not trying to digress, but the point is is that when we celebrate something like the 4th of July, but we are not mindful of the sacrifices that were made, then what happens is because we fail to remember the sacrifices that were made to enjoy these new privileges of our citizenship, we can begin to, to believe that the freedoms of our citizenship didn't cost anyone anything for them to be granted. Just because something is free doesn't mean it doesn't have a cost. Free is for me. Someone's paying the cost. Just because it's free doesn't mean it didn't cost anything. And when we get removed historically from the foundation, we can easily take advantage of our privileges because we're not mindful of the reality that this costs somebody something. And here's what happens as a result. Because of the of our lack of mindfulness, that's being mindful or considering the sacrifices that were made, we can tend to begin to conduct ourselves in a way that does not honor the price that was paid for us to have the privileges of our citizenship that we have. It's like uh, the phrase, it's like grandpa, if he knew how you were, he would roll over in his grave. If some of the founding fathers knew how we were as American citizens, it would be a perpetual roll. Just like a crocodile over and over again. Lord Jesus. Now, they died for us to have the privileges to do that. However, when we're not mindful of the sacrifices, our behavior changes. And so here we see that living mindfully is to remind us to conduct ourselves in a way that would honor those that came before us that afforded us the privilege of becoming citizens. This is the essence of what Paul is communicating in Philippians chapter 2. It's the essence of it. But he's not talking about natural citizenship. He's actually talking about kingdom citizenship. Uh, Paul is, as you know, in prison in Rome, and he's writing letter, a letter back to the church that he planted 12 years prior to this time in Philippi, uh, hence the name for the book. And he's writing them for a lot of reasons. Among them are to thank them for sending him Epaphroditus with a gift of money and resources to take care of him while he's on house arrest. We talked about that in the last couple of weeks. Another reason why he's writing this is because he wants them to uh, uh, be assured that he's doing okay because he's concerned about their care. Uh, we see that uh, hinted at in Philippians 1, verses 12 through 14, where he says, Brothers, I want you to know that my imprisonment has turned out for the betterment of the gospel. He's saying the betterment because he's actually, the, the church in Philippi is very worried about how Paul is doing, if he's okay, if he's still alive, okay? And that one of the third reasons that he's writing this uh, letter is he is uh, writing a similar, he's writing to encourage them to embrace their new citizenship in heaven above 
citizen, natural citizenship. Okay, uh, that point, that third reason why he's writing this is similar, is, is written in a similar way in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28, uh, Paul writes this, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Therefore, once again, why is it therefore? It's therefore because it's there because of the previous verse. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, he's contrasting Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, because in all of those relationships, there is opportunity for division. Opportunity for division. And because the kingdom of God on the earth is so much bigger than we are, It's so much larger than we are. We have to be careful that we maintain our relationships. And so Paul is is, is saying, hey, you're all baptized into Christ. You're all clothed with Christ. Therefore, don't allow any divisions to happen between places and opportunities and relationships where division can happen. Now, how does that happen? It happens because however you are, primarily identify yourself directly affects your conduct or your behavior. However you primarily identify yourself, primarily it affects most your conduct and behavior. So here's an example. So if you are to represent Christ well in the world, you need to make your primary identity what? Christ. Because your conduct is directly affected by your primary identity. Uh, What's primary identity? It's the first thing you think of if you were to complete the phrase, I am a dot, dot, dot. The first thing you think of in that phrase is your primary identity. When, When you think about that, was the first thing that came to your mind, I am a follower of Jesus. Or did you think, I am a man? I'm a woman. I am a career position. I am white. I am black. I am a Democrat. I am a Republican. Whatever it may be, here's the reality. However you primarily identify yourself will affect your behavior. And so Paul is addressing this reality. Okay? Let me give you an example. What I strive for in my life is to be a Christian before I'm a man. That has to be my primary identity. Why is that important? Because my Christianity is what is supposed to shape my conduct as a man, not the other way around. If I allow my manhood to shape my Christianity, then I don't have to love my wife as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her if it works against the desires I have as a man. It's quiet in here. Are you understanding what I'm saying? However you primarily identify yourself is what will cause your, con- your conduct flows from that. Your behavior flows out of that. 
And so I can't define myself primarily as a man because then I will filter everything I do as a Christian through my masculinity. So if my masculinity is something I'm trying, I just, I kind of got a little ghetto, a little swagger real quick. But if my masculinity is something I, I, I identify with more than my Christianity, then I'm not going to worship because, you know, that's what, that's feminine. I'm not going to get on my knees. I'm not going to weep before God because, you know, I'm not going to sacrifice my masculinity for my Christianity. And this is how everything gets tainted. This is how everything happens. The same goes for my race. The same goes for my nationality. This, the list goes on and on. And Paul is taking a similar approach in Philippians chapter 2, but he's focusing it differently. The focus is not just on being united to Christ in Galatians, but also that because of that, you are a citizen, say citizen, of a new kingdom, and that should change the way that you conduct yourselves. And so that thought frames most of Philippians 2. Matter of fact, Philippians 2, 1 through 18 is pretty much framed by that, that perspective or that approach, okay? But where does that thought come from? It comes from the end of Philippians 1, because remember, chapters came afterwards. This was a continuous thought. So that, that therefore, in Philippians 2, verse 1, where did, what is that going back to? It's going back to Philippians 1.27. Let's read Philippians 1.27. He says this in Philippians 1.27. He says, um, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The idea is no matter what happens to me, no matter what happens to me, no matter if I live or die, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. When I read Philippians 1, that stuck out to me. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, say one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul is urging the, the people in Philippi to conduct themselves in a way that honors the gospel within the culture around them. But what does this have to do with kingdom citizenship? Well, this is what it is. Look at that word conduct. This is in the original language, 127, conduct. That word conduct is the Greek word because some things get lost in translation when we translate from Greek to English. The Greek word there is polytuomai, and this is what it means, to behave like a citizen. To behave like a citizen. So what Paul is saying here is that what should not be your primary identity is your natural citizenship, but your spiritual citizenship. Okay? That's how you live your life out in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the focus is on new citizenship that we gain when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. He reiterates this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says this, for our citizenship is where? It's in heaven, from which we also uh, eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's insert this idea of citizenship into verse 27. Only, that word conduct is replaced now, only behave like a citizen... <laughs> in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come see, come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Does your American citizenship 
represent more American citizenship or kingdom citizenship? This is what Paul is getting at here, okay? This is the angle. This is what frames what Paul talks about in Philippians 2. Paul's saying that your conduct will show off what your primary identity is and where your citizenship is. If we are citizens of a new kingdom, does our approach, our lifestyle, our conduct, the way we are before people model this new kingdom citizenship or something else that we primarily identify us by, ourselves by. The message translation says, uh, puts it this way uh, in 127 uh, through 30. It says, meanwhile, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Let nothing in your conduct hang on whether I come or not. Your conduct must be the same whether I show up to see things for myself or hear of it from a distance. Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust, contending for people's trust in the message, the good news. It goes on to say, not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition, your courage and unity will show. Say, will show them what they're up against, defeat for them, victory for you, and both because of God. Remember who Paul was writing to. Paul was writing to a culturally diverse group of Christians. Um, remember, when he first showed up in Philippi, there wasn't even 10 Jewish men to start a synagogue in the city. So this is not a Jewish place. The, the, one of the reasons why you know that is because when you read Philippians 1 through 4, he makes no mention back to Old Testament scriptures. Why? Because it's pretty much irrelevant. There's not a whole lot of Jews around here. Okay, so tying the Messiah back to the fulfillment of Messianic prophecy in the Old Testament doesn't really, it's not really uh, going to be uh, relevant in this, in, this, in this culture. And so they are primarily Greek and they're primarily Roman in this place. But it was also a melting pot much like America today in Philippi. Philippi was a, a cosmopolitan city. Philippi was well known because outside of the city there were gold mines that could be mined continuously and up to around 75, the equivalent of today, up to 7,500 pounds of gold could be mined every year. So imagine that 2,000 years ago. <laughs> That's a whole lot of money. And so it's named after a guy named Philip II, who was a king of Macedonia. Anybody know who Philip II was? Anybody? Who was it? Father of Alexander the Great. Named after. Now, that was not the original name. It was an, an entirely different name, but Philip II was asked to come and help the city fend off some, some invaders. He did, and then he was like, How about I just kind of take care of you perpetually? And they were like, No. And then he was like, Well, I'm taking the city anyway. So he renamed it after himself. And uh, this was not, so it had, uh, once again, Alexander the Great was the one who spread. Greek culture known as Hellenism all over the world. He got as far as India, and it is said of Alexander the Great that he sat in his tent at the end of his conquest of India, and he wept because there was no more worlds to conquer. <laughs> That's sadness? That shows you that you can be at the peak of life without Jesus, and you're depressed, and you're hollow, and you're empty, because you still have a void in your soul to know the person who created the universe. 
And Alexander the Great, he spread it all over, so Greek culture is everywhere. Fast forward now to the Romans who conquered the Greeks. Um, Philipp, or, uh, Philippi became a Roman colony after Julius Caesar was assassinated in 44 BC. There was a massive fight between two of his generals and the people that assassinated Julius Caesar in 42 BC. And after that fight... One of the things you, know, you needed to know about Rome was they never wanted their generals to be too close to Rome because if they were, they might, they might cause a coup and take over. And so what they would do is, hey, go out on another campaign. Continue to fight. I want to distract you. I don't ever want you to come home. I want to distract you. I want you to keep on fighting. And so eventually what ended up happening closely after that uh, battle um, in 42 BC, uh, the soldiers were granted land around Philippi as a reward for their service. And so it not was embeddedly embedded with Greek culture, but now you have a lot of Roman influence as well. So what you have here is you have Roman citizens. But let me tell you something. This is why this is so important. There are freedoms as Americans. There are things that you can do legally that violate your spirit. There are things you can do. You can do a lot but where's your citizenship? Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. Do not deceive yourselves into the reality that some of the things that you can just do in America, because you are an American citizen, do not violate the spirit within you. And when you are mindful of your kingdom citizenship, and that is your primary identity, you are willing to say, even though I can rightfully have these freedoms to do these things in this country, I'm choosing to not do those at the expense of violating the spirit within me because I am now a kingdom citizen. So I'm not going to do those things because as Paul, as Paul said in Corinthians, do you not know that your temple your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The reason why he addressed that is because one of the primary thoughts in the Greek mind is that you can divide your body from your soul. So when you're having sex and you're being sexually promiscuous and you're committing adultery, the Greeks thought in their head, I'm just meeting a physical need. This is not contaminating my spirit. No, 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 they don't intertwine. They're separate. That same philosophy is prevalent in Philippi too. Because these are Greek. You cannot, you, unless the truth of God's word confronts the things that you don't even know are innately in your mindset with something different, you will go on with business as usual thinking it's okay. That's why lost people are lost. Okay, so there are, there are mindsets in the Roman mind, in the Greek mind, that have to be undone by Paul's teaching because they're no longer primarily Greek and Roman citizens. They are citizens of a new kingdom. And so what are the qualities we are to demonstrate in the world around us to show off our kingdom citizenship? The first is found in verse 27 of chapter 1. It says this, only conduct yourselves in manner worthy of gospel of Christ. What does that look like? It looks like this, so that I can hear of you. Do you know <laughs> Christians make a lot of noise and some of it doesn't sound good? 
God hates gay people. God hates gay people. Is that not noise? Jesus is white. (laughs) He was Middle Eastern, guys. (laughs) He was not Caucasian. Caucasian comes from the Caucasus Mountains. That's like European. He was Middle Eastern. Jesus had a tan, y'all. But... What is Paul saying? You need to catch this. He's in prison, but he's saying, the way you conduct yourselves in Philippi, I'll be able to hear it. It can come back to me from word of mouth. When you you have someone work in your house and they do a great job, how does it spread? Word of mouth. And that's what Paul's saying. Even though I'm in Rome and I'm 700 miles away from you, it'll eventually come back to me, the noise that your church is making. And this is why he says that whether whether or not I'm with you, he says, I will hear of you standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So what is the first thing that we need to model to demonstrate our kingdom citizenship uh, well together? The first is this, unity. Unity. They will know that we are Christians by the way that we love one another. They will know by the way that we love one another. Unity. Notice, consider the unity of the first church. In Acts 1.14, when those disciples were in the upper room, 120 of them, it says that they were of one mind. Acts chapter 4, after the explosion of the church. I don't know if we have it up there. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The whole point was that their unity was making noise in the culture, so much so that that the people in Jerusalem were feeling, feeling pressure to squelch it because they were losing their influence with the people because of this radical idea of people united from everywhere together loving each other with an agape love that the world did not know about. But that's kingdom citizenship. It's unity. So why does unity matter? Unity matters because Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25 in the New Living Translation, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. Listen to me. One of the quickest way to end the advancement of the kingdom is to tear apart the unity of the movement. To, to tear apart. And it does not require that to happen from without. Unity being torn apart is an inside job, y'all. It's always inside. It's covert. It's reconnaissance. It's the enemy having his way in your heart to tear apart what God is trying to do. And this is why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, make every effort. You know that? <laughs> oh, gosh. Make every effort to keep the spirit of the unity in the bond of peace. That's Ephesians 4.32. Make every effort 
How many of you are like, I'm going to make Beth the person to do the every effort? (laughs) Beth, you make every effort. (laughs) Not me. You. This is applying to every individual. Make every effort to keep the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. Why? Because does not the Old Testament, I believe in Psalms, say that there is a blessing in unity where people come together? Let me give you an example of a tangible way that this was working. Because once again, one of the primary ways that the enemy can can cause um, the, the advancement of a movement to be stifled is by causing division. Winter camp of 2015, we were having a youth conference here, and um, one of the primary places that he likes to attack is worship to cause disunity. But I'll never forget uh, my man Chris Speak in the back. And at this particular uh, winter conference, we, uh, we had a blended worship team. We had brought in a couple of other pieces, and they were playing significant roles, or different roles, and, and, and Chris, um, Chris on the team was not actually playing the role that he um, was familiar with. And uh, Chris was going, kind of going along, going along and serving his, in his place, but somewhere along the line, it was the final night of the conference. He had done worship practice, and Chris comes up to me, and he says, Pastor Caleb, like, I don't know if I can do this. I just don't feel like I really have a place up here. And it was a lot because he was just uncomfortable with his role. He didn't know where he fit. Okay? And I don't know what it was, but I just remember, first of all, I'm so for- grateful that Chris responded to this, but I honestly don't know what, what, where this came from. It had to be the Holy Spirit in the moment. I said, Chris, I said, the last thing that the team needs is for you to go up to them and say, guys, I just don't feel like um, I need to play tonight and walk away. And the whole time that they are leading worship in the back of their minds, they're thinking, why isn't Chris up here? Why isn't Chris up here? Why isn't Chris up here? Because you know what that will do? That will actually distract their focus off of Jesus, him being glorified, the presence of God coming. And I said that to Chris, and Chris said, you're right. And he got back up on the stage because the enemy wanted to attack the movement. And it wasn't from the outside. He was going through and sifting people. And so Chris gets back up on the stage, and I'm telling you, worship was incredible. The presence of God was falling, and people were getting getting touched everywhere off of that. And I believe at that moment, the devil knew, if I can sift somebody, I can squelch what's about to happen. But thank God, Chris made every effort to keep the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. To not think about himself and say, well, I'm not getting what I want out of this, so, you know, I'm just going to move off the stage. Can I tell you, every person that is serving and working in the church and laboring, you are all needed. 
Do not believe the lie of the enemy that you don't have a place even though you have a place and you're serving in a place. That is a lie from the enemy to cause division and to cause disunity and destroy the movement of what God wants to do and to stifle the momentum in the direction that we are heading. Now it's practical, but it is real. We got to be careful that we're not fighting battles at expense of losing the war. Let me give you a very practical way of preserving unity with believers. When you have an issue with another believer, you need to ask God the following. It's three things. Number one, is this something I need to confront? Is this really something I need to confront? Number two, this is beautiful. Is God using this to change something inside of me? Is this something I need to confront? Is this something God is using to change something inside of me? Or three, do I need to just let it go? Let it go, let it go. Let it go, Frozen. Stop being an Elsa. Let it go. Do I need to address it? Do I need to, uh, is there something in me that needs to be changed? Do I need to just let it go? And here's the whole focus. It's you, you need to get the answer off of prayer. <laughs> because most people that are sifted for the enemy's use to cause division don't pray about the thing they're frustrated about. They just react. They just react. They just, you know, it's all about how I feel in the moment. I'm just going to go with my intuition. Your intuition, if it's flowing from your heart, that is deceitfully wicked at times, Jeremiah 17, 9, then you may be flowing in the wrong spirit. You better pray about it and ask God, what do you want me to do? And I've got a newsflash for you. Most of the times he's like, something inside of you needs to change and you need to just let it go. Often it has nothing to do with confronting an issue. Often it is the preferences of your flesh that he is using this as an opportunity to shape in and shave off of you because you are selfish and you are thinking about yourself. Let it go. Let it go. Y'all didn't know I could blow like that. Let me tell you the three civil, the current civil war issues that have the potential for dividing any church in the kingdom at large. Number one, vaccine or no vaccine, mask or no mask. Civil war issue. There are churches that closed in 2020, not because of a massive COVID outbreak, but because of the church's policies. And it had everything to do with the people in the church infighting. No, I think it should go this way. I think it should go that way. I should, COVID, or, COVID, mask or mask, vaccine or no vaccine. Maintain every spirit, every effort to keep the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. If you're leaning one, listen, number two, racial issues. How do we respond? What do we do? Number three, politics. Politics, Democrat versus Republican, Democrat versus Republican. Listen to me, no matter what side you are on, we have to be careful that we are not allowing our identities to be so wrapped up in these things that it is tearing apart the body. We have to acknowledge that if we aren't careful, we can succumb to the enemy's opportunistic venture. The enemy is a venture capitalist in the kingdom. 
Where can I invest and sow discord to break it up for my profit? We cannot be foolish enough that just because we follow Christ, we are immune from the enemy using us as a pawn of his agenda. If you don't think that is true, then when you get to heaven, have a conversation with Peter. No, 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 no. You're not going to the cross. And Jesus said, say, what? Get behind me, Satan. Why? <laughs> because the enemy was sifting Peter, sowed a thought that was selfish. It wasn't. Listen, can I tell you, often it's not the devil making you do it. He's just, he is just capitalizing on your selfish nature. Peter didn't care about Jesus going to the cross. Peter wanted Jesus to be around. I just don't want you to die because I... He, was he not the one on the temple on the Mount of Transfiguration that said, no, 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 I got tents for you, Jesus. Let's hang out. We could be homies for life. We can be a Peter where the enemy just weasels his way in and targets the selfishness inside of us to cause dis- disunity. We have to make every effort to keep the spirit of the unity. So we best model our kingdom citizenship when we are in unity. And so I'm going to close right here. And there's a reason why Paul was emphasizing unity in the church of Philippi, because there were people in the church causing division. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going I'm to I'm test whether or not you get offended in a moment. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. I urge Euodia and I urge Sintish to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women. Oh, it's the women. Always start in trouble. <laughs> did it offend you? <laughs> I did it on purpose. Test your heart. I'm kidding. Indeed, true companion, I ask you to also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement, also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. There was a division. He said to live in harmony because they weren't in harmony. Euodia and Sin, these were followers that, that helped uh, Paul uh, develop and plant the church in Philippi. And there was some sort of cause, there was some sort of thing that was happening in the community between these two people. And how many of you know that when you are bound and close to somebody, it always overflows in the other relationship? So now it's not just an issue with the two women in Philippi. It's an issue with the whole church because people are choosing sides. And Paul says, I'm in Rome, and the division is making noise. So live in harmony in the Lord. Live in harmony in the Lord. The two things that cause disunity are pride and selfishness. Pride and selfishness. Pride and selfishness, the fruit of it is actually a word called discord. Discord. One of the meanings of discord is when an instrument or a voice is singing off-key or off-tune. He said live in harmony. Now, what is harmony? Harmony, one of the meanings of harmony, is when you have a full band playing together and everything is together. Everything is synced. Everything, and how many of you know... <laughs> If you've ever attended a spaghetti dinner in the past, you know what discord sounds like. When the 12-year-old's like, I want to sing. 
jars of clay. <laughs> and they're like, ah, ah. what does that make you do? Let's just think naturally. What does that make you do? Luckily, Dee Dee had a good enough spaghetti dinner <laughs> to get you through. What does that make you do? It makes you wince. Oh. Oh. Makes you uncomfortable. You're like, I gotta get out of the room. I'm just anybody like that. Where like you you see it and you're like, I'm gonna shrink back in my chair. This is, not, I'm uncomfortable. What Paul is saying is, unity matters, because when you are talking about how Jesus can bring everybody together, and then you are divisive and you're bickering and you're infighting, what you're showing them is discord, not harmony, and it's making the world wince. Because it is in contradiction to the Jesus you're talking about. Oh, oh, God. Change the song. It makes you wince. And this is what Paul is saying in Philippians 4. I heard, if I heard in Rome of your division, what is the city around your church hearing? Unity matters. We have to understand that when we do not model our kingdom citizenship by displaying unity well, it will make the world wince. And here's the last thing. Going back to Philippians 2. Why does unity matter? And if we can, we can go back, we'll go back next week to this same verse. Why does unity matter? Why does it, any of it matter? Because of Philippians 2, verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's what. All of this, behavior, conduct, new citizenship, the whole goal is God is the one working and willing because it's for his pleasure. It all comes back down to when you are selfish and you want your way about something that could cause division in the kingdom, you have to get back to Jesus because once again, we're going to get into this next week but how does Paul attack what causes division? Verse four of verse two of chapter two. Consider, verse five, consider Jesus. <laughs> his humility and his selflessness for the greater effort of the advancement of the kingdom. Unity matters. We model our kingdom citizenship well through unity, that's just one of them. We'll get into the rest of it next week, and then we'll get into why. Why? Will you stand with me? This is what I want to do. Can we just, can we do something physically that will model unity? I want you, if you are comfortable, I want you to grab the hand of the person next to you or touch them on the shoulder. If you're, okay, and I want us all to be connected some way, shape, or form.
Listen to me. Listen. Listen. As the fire of division in America becomes larger, the greater the opportunity, mark my words, the greater the opportunity that the devil will have to cause it to flow into the church and to bring division. And so we need to fight for unity, which means that if you feel unified, it's not being challenged yet. But the every effort is when it is tested, when it is challenged. Are you willing to lay down your preferences, your other allegiances to other citizenships for the sake of your kingdom citizenship to model it well? Father, we pray for this room. And God, we pray that it would be an Acts 4.32 church, that the, 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 the people around us, the people within our communities, the people within our workplaces, the people within our relationships and our families would see us modeling unity so well. And they would look at it and they would wonder, how can they be of one mind? How can they be so selfless? How can they be so humble? How can they care for each other and genuinely love each other? How can they hear something that could be personally offensive, but they just brush it off their shoulder as if it bounced off because how do they do that? Unity and love. So Jesus, I pray that you would use your word here to shape us and sharpen us and mold us because once again, as Philippians 2 says, it is for you and your will to will and to work for your good pleasure that we would be citizens of the kingdom on the earth, Lord. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you guys. We will see you next week for the continuation.